Genesis chapter 13. We taught on the truth of the Scripture. This book from beginning to end is true. You can understand that this book is not, it has not been able, though many have tried, to destroy it in any number of ways. There have been numerous times where governments have tried to burn every one of these books. And yet we still have the Bible just as, as clear as it was when they finished it back in uh, 2,000 years ago. They tried to get society to deny the truth of, these, of this book. And they have not been able to succeed at that either. They've tried to prove that the book is filled with contradictions. And yet any honest person who reads any given contradiction can see that it is not one once read in context. It has been attempted to uh, try to show that it is inaccurate. And yet every time they find something that they say is inaccurate, they dig in the dirt a little bit and find out that the Bible is accurate. It's funny how people will put their, their confidence in books that have to be changed every single year, a.k.a. college textbooks. And they will not put their confidence in a book that they say is wrong and yet proves itself over and over and over again. And that's the Bible. Uh, brethren, you are not wrong when you say with all your heart and believe with all your heart that the Bible is true. The Bible is true. And they say it is. And so one of the things that uh, those who don't believe and want to fight and war over Christianity will, will ultimately say is if the Bible is true, then God is a terrible, wicked, awful God. Look at how many people He kills. By the way, we all die given enough time. But in the Scripture, you are going to find very incredible statements by God that deal with Him destroying populations of people. Whether it be Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it be the flood, He said to the Israelites to go and to destroy the Canaanites on numerous occasions. The, uh, the battle of Jericho, all of them died except for those who were in Rahab's room. There are many examples where we see God either destroying a whole population or leading another population to go and destroy a whole lot population, which leads unbelievers to say, boy, you have a bloody God. You have a bloody God. I want you to know God does not have to give reasons for what He does. He's God. But He does. And we need to understand that in the Scripture, in these cases, we see that it is a people that are leading the, the, the charge for the destruction of the entirety of the world. And brethren, when empires come into power and they lead to the destruction of the world in lead, being the leading cause of death in the world by murder, it is not wrong for God to judge them and kill them. I want you to know that's true. It is not wrong for God to judge them and kill them. 
And people often say, who gives God the right to kill and to do these types of things? Number one, he is God. But number two, who gives us the right to do the same thing? Often the same people who will say, who does God give the right to? Will be very much in favor of abortion. This is an amazing thing to me, how we can play hula hoops with God and understand that we are just people and we do not have that right. God does. (laughs) But when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, they were the leading charge of wickedness in the world and murder. When we talk about the Canaanites, we're talking about a people who would take little babies and throw them in the fire. And guess what? Even in the history of the Israelites, who were the God's chosen people, they followed after their same way and would throw fire babies in the fire to their to the God of Moloch. When we talk about Jericho, uh, we're talking about a people and an empire that were leading in the wickedness that was infecting the world. When we're talking about the flood, we're talking about the whole world was always wicked all the time. God always does what's right. Our God always does what's right. And I want you to know that God is always ready to forgive. He is already he is he is always ready to stay the hand and gives the warning that His hand of destruction is coming before He does it. And if the people repent, He has always stopped. We'll see that. God's not a terrible God. He is a good God. And I want you to know, if when God destroyed populations of people, if He allowed them to continue, this world would be vastly different than it is today. It would be even worse. North Korea might be the good nation if God did not do what He has done throughout history with empires who have gone to become the destroyers of people. And he has done that. I also believe that he can do it again. We need to pray for our nation. God can, in a day, bring our nation to its knees if he wants to. God is a good God. And he is patient. And he is kind. And He has been very patient with the nations and peoples of the world. (laughs) And when He decides something must be done and He does it, we can complain all we want. But God has done the right thing. And He will continue to do the right thing. So if you look there in Genesis chapter 13. In verse 13, Genesis 13 verse 13 The Scripture says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And so what were these people in the sight of God? They were sinners. And how extensive were they sinners? 
exceedingly. Now that's an important thing for us to understand, because if we're talking about people, what can we say about all people? We're all sinners. But when it came to these people, they were sinners what? Exceedingly. They were sinners exceedingly. And there are some things that God gets into, um, but they are wicked beyond the pale. They do things that normally people would not do. (laughs) Their nation had gone to the allowance of death and destruction, rape and murder, and they were wicked exceedingly. And, and that's what the scripture says in Genesis 13, verse 13. Now, the interesting thing is, is that before this, Abraham, or as this is going on, Abraham and Lot get to be very big in how much property and cattle they own. So big that there didn't seem to be enough space. And so Abram and Lot got together and Abram said to Lot, where do you want to go? And Lot, taking the preference, decided to put his face towards Sodom. And Abram towards Canaan or what what would eventually be Israel. Now this is an interesting thing. Because the Bible tells us that Lot was a righteous man. Here is a righteous man who eventually goes and lives not outside of the city of of Sodom, but where does he go live? Right in the city. Right in the city. And as he goes there, there's no doubt that he faced that wickedness with a heart that was filled with angst and despair and often did not know what to do. In fact, do you think the model of his life caused danger to the folks that lived around him? Oh yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that he was afraid that if he started opening his mouth and talking about God and the gospel and repentance, that they very well would have come and destroyed him. They would have, what we might call in the legal terms today, sodomized him and his family. There are many things that there's no doubt that he was very afraid of. But yet he lived in there and he continued in this place and his very life would have been a preaching experience for the people that were around him. And so we find ourselves moving forward in history many years into chapter 18. I want you to know from the time that God speaks about Sodom as a very wicked place, sinning exceedingly, we have many years that go by. Lot goes and lives there. In all this time, in all this time, the wicked men of Sodom could have either been dealt with or could have repented, but did they ever? They did not. Right through chapter 18. Three visitors come and visit Abraham. And they begin to talk about Abraham, to Abraham about several things and talk about Abraham and his new coming baby, which he didn't believe. And then one sends two, two angels are sent to Sodom and God, the third one, begins to tell Abraham what's going to happen to Sodom. He tells, uh, he tells Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah 
are going to be destroyed. And so if you look there in verse 16, chapter 18, the Bible says, And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, these two angels, and Abraham with them to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. I want you to know the misery in Sodom and Gomorrah was great. And it was great because the sin was great. And God said, I'll go down and check it out. Now, God didn't have to go down and check it out, but, but that, that's the, the phraseology that we give here. Verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, who was in Sodom? Lot was. Who is Lot to Abraham? His nephew. This is the guy that's been traveling with him since he left his home country. Lot was, was dear, no doubt, to Abraham. He said, will you kill the righteous with the wicked? Verse 24, peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Will thou also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are in the city? Now, Sodom was a very large city at this point in history. We don't know how many people lived there, but it would have numbered tens of thousands. And here we have Abraham saying to God, God, for 50 will you destroy the city? 50 righteous will you destroy the city? Now that probably, compared to the population, seemed like a somewhat small number. And God, of course, says, no, I won't destroy the city for 50. And he goes on. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked if there be, uh, for lack of five, if there's 45, will you destroy it? And God says no. Well, God, will you destroy if there be 20? God says no. He says one more time, verse 32, will you destroy the city if there be 10? And God said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. I won't destroy the city if there be 10 righteous in the city. Now, if we add up how many people are associated with Lot in the city, we have Lot and his wife, we have his two daughters and their husbands. So that brings us up to six people. No doubt Abraham thought to himself, there has to be 10. <laughs> I mean, Sodom is a pretty bad place, but there's got to be at least 10 people who, who have not given themselves wholeheartedly to the wickedness of Sodom. You know how many there were? There were at best six. <laughs> not even six. The only ones that escaped were Lot, his wife, who only made it to the next city before she looked and was turned into a pillar, and his two daughters. <laughs> now, Lot was a righteous man. There was at best, at best four, probably one, probably one. 
In all the time that Lot was there, could people have understood, I live in the city of destruction. God will come down and rain terror upon my city if I don't turn away from my wickedness. You know, they didn't even have to turn fully to God just to acknowledge that God could do something and I better stop being so bad. They could have just, instead of being exceeding wicked, they could have just been regular wicked and they would have been okay. But when the angels went into the city, they said, we're going to spend the night outside out tonight. Lot said, no, you better come in. And the whole city of men came to take those two angels and rape them. That's what the scripture tells us. They would have... If they were true humans, now they were angels, that wasn't going to happen. But if they were human beings, they would have not lived through the night. Right? They would not have lived through the night. They would have died. This was an exceeding wicked city, wasn't it? And so the angels literally picked up Lot, pulled him out of the city with his two daughters and his wife, who of course turned back and turned to a pillar of salt. And fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and destroyed those people. We don't know what might have happened if God did not do it. But I know this. It was right for God to do what He did because the world would have become Sodom and Gomorrah if He didn't. People talk about the flood. Same type of thing. Genesis chapter 6. Turn back just a few pages. Verse 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all that which they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, some, some people misinterpret this, that people can only live 120 years before they die. I've heard that many times. It doesn't make sense because there are people who have lived more than 120 years and they try to use it to disprove the Bible. This doesn't mean that people are going to live 120 years. It means the people on the earth have 120 years left before the flood comes. All right. Why would God do this? Verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so what did God see when He saw the people of the earth before the flood came? That the, the thoughts that they had, the imaginations that they had, the ideas, the, the thoughts of what they were going to do, it was always wicked. Right? It was always wicked. Now, The Scripture says, verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, historically, we understand from the Bible that Noah would begin the building of an ark. God told him to build an ark to bring the animals in two by two, the, the clean animals, seven by seven. And he began to do this. And yet, the Scripture says about Noah that he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. I want you to know that Noah did not spend most of his day building an ark. Very likely, he hired many others who would eventually die in the flood to do it. What did he use his days to do? To preach 
righteousness. So that the world could know that there is an escape. God could have stopped the flood. He could have said, you know what? My message came across. The folks, they trusted that I'm God and I'm going I'm to stop my plans. God could do that. You know how many people got on the boat? Eight. You know who they were? Just his family. I want you to know, Noah did not look down upon the world and say, hey, we're getting in the boat, here come the raindrops, you can't come in, nah, 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 nah. He was probably, as Jesus was closing the door, pleading with them, get in the boat. Turn to the Lord. Not one got on. And the flood came. And the scripture tells us that God cleansed the earth. And if he didn't, what this world would be like today. What this world would be like today. He told the Israelites in numerous occasions to destroy the Canaanites. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Verse 17 the scripture says, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God had commanded me, thee, that they teach you not to do after their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. Many unbelievers will say that God wanted the Canaanites destroyed because they didn't worship Him. No. That's not what this verse says. What does it say? It says because of the abominations they did to the gods that they worshipped. Right? You know what kind of abominations they did? They would cut the umbilical cord and throw the baby in the fire. They have found pits filled with thousands of people with their burned bones. Thousands of babies. With their burned bones. They would have huge, huge, abominable worship sessions to their God. And why did God want them, the Israelites, to destroy them? What does it say? Because I don't want them to teach you to do it. Guess what the Israelites didn't do? They did not destroy the Canaanites. By the way, there was a scientific paper that came out about a month ago. They were going, nah, 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 nah. You see, the Bible isn't true. The Canaanites, they're the Lebanese. They dug up Canaanite bones. It matched 93%. You know, the, the whole uh, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, uh, get, your, uh, get your DNA tested. Got no problem with that. But they said they're, the Lebanese, they match right up with the Canaanites. You see? That God said to destroy the Canaanites, and the Canaanites still exist today. They're in Lebanon. They're the Lebanese. <laughs> no problem with that. Israelites never did it. <laughs> so they continue to exist today because they never did what God told them to do. It's funny how scientists who want to so not believe in the God of the Bible will some so often get caught being fools. <laughs> But guess what? 
They didn't kill the Canaanites. Guess what the Israelites did at the end of their time? Before the, the, the northern kingdom, we've been going through that in the, in the Sunday school. They did pretty abominable things. Did they get to the extent where they were killing thousands of babies? No, but they killed babies. They threw babies in the fire. The, God, the people that God had chosen to be his people throwing babies in the fire. Why did they do it? The example of the Canaanites. God said it would happen. It happened. Right? The Canaanites never were destroyed. Jericho was um, destroyed. Except for uh, Rahab. And again, in all these instances, if they had simply turned from their wicked ways, not even turned to worship Him, it's such a silly argument that God... That people say, God is such a, a a mean God. If you don't worship Him, He'll kill you. Well, number one, everybody dies because of their sin. But the destruction that God brings about in the Old Testament is not because they don't worship Him. It's what their worship led them to, which was terrible and wicked. And any normal sane person would say, we can't let this continue. Somebody's got to do something. And God did. And we ought to be glad He did. Because the wickedness of man's heart can get pretty bad. And we could be right there with them if God didn't take action. You with me? In Joshua chapter 6, our God is a great God. Please do not let people fool you into thinking the God of the Old Testament is the bad God and the God of the New Testament is the good God. They're the same one. Our God is a good God and He does what's right always. Verse 20. So the people shouted. Joshua and his army walked around the city once every day. On the seventh day, they walked around the city seven times as the Lord said to Then they shouted, they blew the trumpets, and this is what happened. So the people shouted with the priests, blew the trumpets, and it came to pass. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. I want you to know, by the way, walls don't fall down because you shout and blow a trumpet. God knocked that thing over, right? So the people went into the city, every man straight before them. They took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass to the edge of the sword. God is a terrible God. <laughs> I mean, look what he, what he told the Israelites to do. They, they destroyed that city. Jericho had its own wickedness. The amazing thing about this is the one that survived, Rahab, was a prostitute. She, her blood is in the blood of the Lord Jesus. What a great God we have. It is not because of the wickedness of man that he was killing these people. It is because of how abominable their wickedness was. But what did God tell the Israelites to do for seven days? Number one, they knew the Israelites were coming and they were afraid. 
Rahab said, we knew you were coming and we were afraid. And when we saw the, we saw the Jordan part, which is what happened just like the Red Sea 40 years before, we hold ourselves up in this city, hoping that these walls would, would save us. The walls wouldn't save them, though. But what did God do? For seven days, he had the army walk around the city. On the seventh day, just to make the point, he said, I want you to walk around the city seven times. Now, that is not a good strategy for war. You do not wear out your army by marching if you don't have to. But that's what God did. Why? Is God stupid? Is God unreasonable? Here's why God did it, and I'm convinced it's true. God wanted to give a chance to Jericho to say, you know what? We give up. We're with you guys. We're not against you. But they didn't. And the walls fell down and Jericho was destroyed. God will always give a way out. And that is by repentance and turning away. How do we know this? Is there ever an example in the Scripture where God didn't do what was said He was going to do? Sure. Jonah, chapter 3. And we'll close. Of course, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Jonah said no. He ended up eventually getting swallowed by a whale. He finally said, okay, God, I'll do what I've told you I'd do. He got spit up on dry land. He went into the city, which still had several hundred mile walk. Went into the city, and this is what the Scripture says in verse 3. Chapter 3, uh, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, what did Jonah expect to happen? In chapter 4, he expected Sodom and Gomorrah to happen again. He expected fire and brimstone to rain out of heaven and kill them all. In fact, he was looking forward to it. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. And proclaimed a fast and put in sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose and his throne his throne. By the way, so much falls or rises on leadership. <laughs> what happened here? The king said, oh man, the God of the Israelites come to my city. So what do they do? They put on their, their sackcloth. They get in their ash, uh, put it, sit in their ashes. And he proclaimed, verse 7, He causes to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. That is not a good way to stay king. Right? In throughout history, when things start getting bad for the king, you know what he starts doing? Giving out food, right? You can, you can read history. The Romans did it. The Greeks did it. When things start getting bad for the leader, let's throw them food. He says, no, it's worse than that. Let's stop. Let's not even eat at all. In fact, what's the use of eating if God's going to destroy the city? No food, no drink, just mourning, just sackcloth. And this is what he said. 
Verse 8, But let man be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. He didn't say, believe God and kill your neighbor. He said, let's stop doing these things that God's so mad at. By the way, did they know what God, God was mad at? Violence. Killing. The things that we ought to be mad at. <laughs> right? Should not we be mad when somebody murders someone else? Yes. We should be mad when somebody goes and defiles somebody else. That ought to make us mad. It used to be, and in some countries it still is, you do these things, you are sentenced to die. They said, we got to stop. Who can tell, verse 9, if God will turn and repent? What an amazing doctrine and understanding of God. Maybe God won't do what He said He's going to do. Now, God knows everything. But He gave a warning. And they heeded it. He knew they would repent. He wasn't surprised. But He'd given warnings before and they didn't repent. But He gave a warning. And what happened? They said, we got to stop. Next thing you know, God's bringing, bringing fire and brimstone destroying the city. Is that what happened? Of course not. He didn't destroy the city. God is a good God. Not a terrible God. And when wickedness brings itself to so wicked that it begins the destruction, the killing, the defiling of people, God says, I can stop it. And He has. He's done it throughout history, providentially and miraculously. He's done it with fire and brimstone. And He's done it by other countries coming in and and defeating the country that's been so bad. He can do it in many number of ways. There is going to come a time in the future where God is going to send down fire and brimstone again on those that seek to destroy Israel in their wickedness. Brethren, I believe it's wicked when men stand up and say, We are going to wipe the Israelites off the map. When and if they get the capability of doing so, you can guarantee this. God will stop it. And He can. Right? Our God's a good God. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. He's wise. And He loves this world. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Brethren, spend a moment giving God thanks and glory and praise for His goodness. Maybe you've had thoughts in the past that God was bad. Somebody said, hey, God is bad. Read the Old Testament. He does wicked things. Maybe you thought that. Tell Him, God, I'm sorry for thinking that. I can see now that you're not bad. The world can be bad, but I'm not. But you're not. We are. He's not. Would you ask Him to give you an opportunity to speak to people about what you learned today? To give you an opportunity to speak to people what you learned today? Because if you put yourself there out there as a Christian, eventually somebody is going to say, 
Your God is so bad. Let me read you the Old Testament. Would you ask God to give you opportunity to tell people about God? The God of the Old Testament. Who is not evil but good. And then ask God for the wisdom to say it.